Today we're talking about Daniel chapter 6, and this may be one of the most familiar stories in the Old Testament, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. In verse 1, it says that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. A satrap is a word uh, that literally means protector of the kingdom. And the idea is that these leaders would ensure that the taxes are collected properly and the government funds are used properly to protect the king from embezzlement or the misuse of kingdom funds. In verse 3, it tells us that Daniel was distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And this could refer to a great attitude, a great skill and ability as an administrator. It could also refer to his relationship with God and his supernatural wisdom. And so Darius intends to put him over all the other officials. And of course, they don't like this idea. It could be that they're jealous. It could also be that they want to exploit opportunities to take money from the kingdom, and Daniel is in the way. And so they look for a way to get at Daniel, and they realize that they're not going to find anything unless it has something to do with his God. Stephen Miller says this, that Daniel's religious convictions were not hidden. The old prophet was not a secret disciple, but a man who was not ashamed to let others know that his allegiance was to the God of Israel. Second, Daniel's commitment was such that he would not compromise even in the face of punishment or death. So these other leaders, they realize the only way they're going to get Daniel is if somehow they can create a law that punishes the worship of Daniel's God. Verse 6 tells us that high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and they propose a law. And they start out with an exaggeration. They say all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, obviously, this is not true because Daniel would have never agreed to that. It's likely that this was a small group of conspirators who are exaggerating to the king or else they've reached support of a, a handful of people to represent all of them. But either way, they are manipulating the king. And they are also using a form of flattery in the sense that they're saying, hey, let everybody go to you, king. And this may have been attractive to Darius because he's a a new ruler. He's trying to unite the, the empire or the kingdom. And so the idea that everybody would come to him, one, it shows his authority, his power. It could also be very unifying. It's limited to 30 days, so people are going to say, okay, well, I can just wait out these 30 days, but it it really displays the power of the king. So this would have been a very attractive proposal to Darius, the fact that he's saying all the leaders, all the leaders are saying this, uh, puts a little bit of pressure on him or gives him an excuse, even if he thinks this is a bad idea. Uh, But the truth is, it was not all of the leaders. And just as an aside, uh, whenever I hear all the people are saying, or there are many people who are saying, 
chances are it actually is a small group of people. And so when you hear that at work, um, when you hear it even in the church, it's probably a handful of people, could be just two or three people who feel very strongly about something. They want him to sign it into the laws of the Medes of Persians, which cannot be revoked. And we know from historical documents that this was, in fact, the case, that there were laws that were signed, uh, that no matter what happened, it couldn't be uh, revoked. You couldn't back out of it. There's another case where a Persian king had an innocent man executed, and he knew he was innocent, but because of the law, there was nothing he could do. So Darius goes ahead and signs this law, and Daniel becomes aware of it. And in verse 10, we see that in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So Daniel hears about this document that has been signed in, and it does not change his routine. Now, houses in the Babylon at that time, the windows uh, were open to allow the breeze to flow through. Usually there'd be a, a wooden lattice that would protect people from looking in. But in this case, the window allowed people to see clearly what was going on inside. Now, this is interesting that Daniel could have hidden his prayers. He could have just said, okay, they made this stupid law. I'm going to pray in the back corner of my room three times a day, and nobody's going to know. But Daniel doesn't hide it. He is not afraid. He is not ashamed. He is going to keep going with his routine. And there was one uh, commentator who felt that this probably because he knew that these men were out to get him. And so they're just going to look for another way if they can't get him this way. And he's not going to dishonor God. He's going to put God before the political pressure, before the pressure of his co-workers. He is going to stand firm. And so he prays. And this was his routine three times a day to pray toward Jerusalem. And the reason he was praying toward Jerusalem, as Tremper Longman points out, that in 1 Kings 8, 35 to 36, it says, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel." Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. This passage is a prayer from King Solomon that is saying, God, when we turn away from you, if we turn back, when we're in a foreign land, when we're in exile, and we turn toward Jerusalem, we turn toward the temple, we turn toward your presence and call out to you, hear us and restore us. And so Daniel is praying toward Jerusalem because of the promise that God made, because God responded to Solomon and said, I will, when my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so Daniel is taking action in response to a promise that God made to Solomon believing that his prayers will be answered and God will heal the land of Israel. 
and he is praying for his people. He's praying for his nation. He is praying to his God, and it does not matter that a law has been signed that could kill him or have him executed for prayer. He is going to stay faithful to God. It's not surprising that the officials who are conspiring against him have sent spies to watch him and to observe him praying in his house. They report back to the king and remind him of the law that he signed. And then they say, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Notice how they frame this. One is they label him as the exile. He is an outsider. He is different from the rest of us. The next thing is that they say he pays no attention to you. And so they're labeling him. They're accusing him falsely. Daniel pays attention to Darius. Daniel does exactly what Darius wants him to do in all other areas in his work. But here they label him. They say he pays no attention to you. This accusation Um, It also says that he prays three times a day. And so what are they saying? They're saying it's not just a one-time lapse. This is constant. He is rebelling against you. And we know their motivations. Their motivations are not to protect the king. The motivations are to get Daniel out of the way. And so we see this manipulation, this plot, this conspiracy to get rid of Daniel. And Daniel's been without fault up to this point. And as a a side note, you can do your job perfectly and there will be people who hate you and want to get rid of you. Verse 14 tells us that when the king heard these words, he was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. Now, this is a, a pretty stark contrast to Nebuchadnezzar, who immediately wanted to throw the three friends into the fire. Darius realized that this has all been a setup, and he can't believe that he's been duped by his officials to kill Daniel. Daniel is his most trusted advisor. And so he searches all day long trying to figure out how he can set Daniel free. There is no solution. There is no loophole. And finally, at sunset, he needs to put Daniel in the lion's den. The officials come and they say, O king, it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And so they're putting pressure on him to follow through on this law that he knows is bad. And he knows that this was a trap for Daniel. But there's nothing he can do. The king, who is the most powerful man in the empire, the king through whom all people in the empire are supposed to come for help, is now powerless to help Daniel. And so he declares to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And that indicates to us that Daniel was not a silent believer, a hidden believer, but he followed God in such a way that it was obvious to those around him. And he was a witness to Darius, which again, Daniel is in this wicked empire, this wicked place full of idolatry, but God has placed him there as a witness. So he is put into the den of lions 
and the king seals it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And that is, you know, they, they put wax or clay on the stone over the entrance to the lion's den. And the idea is nobody's going to move that stone. Nobody's going to set Daniel free. And the king goes back to the palace hoping that God could deliver him. In the ancient Near East, there was this uh, thing called trial by ordeal. And this was basically if, if you didn't know if someone was guilty or not, what you might do is a trial by ordeal. And so one of the ways to do that was to throw someone in the river. And if they drowned, it was a sign that they... It was a sign that it was God's punishment. If they survived, then they were innocent. And so Darius is hoping that this will be an ordeal where out of innocence, God will protect Daniel. He spends the night in fasting. He refuses entertainment. We don't exactly know what that word means, entertainment or diversions, but it's likely that it refers to music or some other form of entertainment that the king would normally enjoy. Uh, finally, the day breaks, the king goes back and he cries out, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to save you from the lions? And Daniel cries out, uh, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad. And so we see that God rescued Daniel in this situation and demonstrates his power to Darius and to the kingdom that he is the living God. Now, Darius responds by taking Daniel out of the lion's den and throwing the officials and their families into the lion's den. And this was common in the ancient Near East to destroy an entire family to keep the descendants or the family members from seeking vengeance. A king would execute the entire family. Uh, This was not the case for the nation of Israel. And the writer of Daniel, Daniel only reports what happened. He's not advocating for the killing of the families. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So we see the result of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. The result of his sticking to his convictions is that the entire kingdom hears about God. Sometimes when we're put under pressure, we can think, well, I need to hide my faith in order to maintain my witness. Uh, I need to hide my faith in my family to maintain the witness. If I, if I make it clear that I'm a Christian, they'll be angry and it will cause conflict. Daniel's not afraid to do that. And it is because he sticks with his convictions, because he practices his faith in the same way he's always done that, that the witness, his witness goes out to the entire kingdom. 
So we go to Connect Group. We want to ask the questions. What does this tell us about God? That he allows Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den, that he allows people to rise up against him, and that he rescues him. What does it tell us about people? We see uh, the behavior of these high officials. We see the behavior of King Darius and the way he responds to manipulation and flattery. Uh, The other question is, how do we apply it to our life? What does it mean that God's kingdom will endure forever? He delivers and rescues and works signs and wonders. What does it mean that we may be put in a situation where people are trying to attack us or take us out? What does it mean when we're put into a situation when we're pressured to hide our faith and to go along with the crowd? Uh, These are really questions that we want to reflect on and think about how does this truth that is revealed about God change our lives to make us more like Christ? And how do we, how does the gospel relate to this passage? And what does the gospel mean for us when we're put in situations like Daniel? What was Daniel's hope? Why was it that he could uh, pray in spite of the fact that he knew that he could be executed for praying? Well, I hope you have a great connect group and thanks for listening.